Hey, welcome to Transform Your Workplace. It's Brandon Laws, your host. Thanks for the download today. Today's episode is brought to you by Zenium HR. Zenium is supporting small, medium-sized organizations all across the Pacific Northwest for their payroll processing, HR, compensation planning and design, training and development, and so much more. Learn more about Zenium at zeniumhr.com. Today's episode is with Mark Hirschberg. He is an author, a thought leader, and an expert in career building. And he's also a speaker and professor at MIT. As an MIT and Harvard Business School grad, Mark has a vast experience in not only the, the tech world, but also in facilitating career success. He's the author of The Career Toolkit, Essential Skills for Success That No One Taught You. And in this episode, we're talking about that book, how to develop career plan, how to develop skills, not only for us personally, but if uh, we lead people, how do we help them have the right tools to get where they want to go in their career? So you're going to find a lot of practical tips in this episode. I hope you enjoy it. Reach out to me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, any of those places I accept direct messages from. would love to connect with you. Enjoy the episode today, and if you haven't subscribed on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Spotify, any of those places, would love to have you a subscriber. Also, leave a five-star rating and review if possible. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the episode. We'll talk to you next week. Hey, Mark, it is a pleasure to have you on the Transform Your Workplace podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me here today. I'm glad to be here. We're going to talk about what's in the career toolkit. You wrote a book, an entire book about what should be in the career toolkit. It's called The Career Toolkit, Essential Skills for Success That No One Taught You. I'm curious, why did you write the book in the first place? Did nobody teach you these essential skills that should be in the career toolkit? Unfortunately, no one did. Early in my career, I was a software engineer. And I knew I wanted to become a CTO. And so I looked around to say, what does a CTO do? What would I need to be able to do to be successful? It wasn't just about being a good software developer. There were all these other skills, leadership, hiring, team building, having a strong network. And I had heard of these skills and I knew they were important, but no one ever actually taught them to me. So I had to start to develop them in myself. And I learned these skills are important, not just for those at the top of the hierarchy, really for all of us. So I tried to hire people with the skills once I became a manager, but I couldn't find people with the skills either because they also were not taught the skills. So I began to develop my own internal training programs. And around this time, a little after I started doing this, MIT had gotten similar feedback. Employers had said, look, we love your students. They're really smart, but there's all these other skills we'd love to see. Leadership, communications, team building, negotiations. And we're just not finding it. And this, by the way, is not unique to MIT. Feedback at other schools has been universal. These are the missing skills that were not taught. So MIT began to put together this program. I reached out and offered to help. So they asked me to help create some of the curriculum. And then for the past 20 years, I've been teaching there. And after doing it for 20 years, I realized this is great. We know it works. But I'm only reaching a handful of students a year. Hundreds of students a year. I want to reach more. 
because we know how important this is. And that's why I wrote the book. Yeah. And I'm hoping we could reach a lot more people with this discussion right here. I'm curious, you know, with those skills that you're describing and that employers want in people, when you talk about stacking up a couple of candidates next to each other, and let's say an employer's, you're, you're interviewing somebody and you've got one candidate and another candidate, what makes them different? What, like, what separates the, the one that's ideal from the one that's maybe not so ideal, it doesn't have the skills that you're describing throughout the book? Are there marginal differences? Are they huge differences? I mean, elaborate on that a little bit, if you would. It will depend a lot. And in chapter three, I talk about hiring, but from the manager side, because ironically, even though most of us in white collar jobs are involved in hiring, we have had zero training. No one has ever sat people down. I've heard this from executives. Yeah, I've hired lots of people. Have you ever been trained? No. <laughs> Just go and do it, right? So lots of people say, well, you know, I've been on the other side. I ask a bunch of questions and I don't know, he seems nice. But too often we hire people because they're the guy we want to have a beer with. So what I describe in the book, it's enumerating what those skills are. Now, we tend to focus a lot on 10 years of experience with X or knowledge of Y. And that's certainly important and that's easy to measure. But then there are the other attributes. We need a leader. Well, what does that mean? What are the qualities you want in a leader? There's lots of people who are leaders, but they're different types. Do you need a transformational leader, a growth leader, a leader to help a demoralized team? We talk about communication. That's when everyone puts into their job description. On communication skills. Strong communicator. <laughs> what does that mean? Does that mean they speak up in meetings? Does that mean they write really good emails or maybe concise emails? Does that mean they can explain complex ideas to people outside of the discipline? Those are all different types of communications, and you might not need all of those. So we have to enumerate, in addition to the knowledge and experience, what are these other attributes we want? What's their ranking order? or How important are they? And what do we mean by each? Yeah, it almost seems like, especially as an employer, when you're getting into the interviewing stage and stacking up candidates next to each other, depending on what you need for the position, there should be a set of competencies that you probably need. And then there's got to be interview questions that try to tease those things out, or maybe it's clear on the resume if they have those skills or not. But is that what you experienced going in with the plan around like what competencies are we actually looking for, This you know, the skill sets or anything like that? That's how I've done and that's how I trained up my team. Let's enumerate. Maybe leadership is very important. Communication, it's a nice to have. Let's make sure they can speak. But otherwise, I don't care if they're a great communicator or not. Not so important for the role. Okay, well, if we really want to focus on leadership, how do we determine that? We can ask them about their experiences. We can ask about hypotheticals. I break down the different types of questions you can use. But you want to select certain questions and styles of questions to really zero in on that particular attribute and see if it fits what you're looking for. Let's start at the very beginning because you talk about in chapter one, a career plan. And I think, you know, for for this audience, not only are some of these listeners probably individual contributors and can benefit from a career plan, but I think they're also supporting a lot of people that, you know, if they're mentoring or managing people that they're trying to help them grow, a career plan would be a good place to start. You wrote that having a career plan is better than not having one at all. I mean, just in terms of a plan. So maybe define first, what, what's a career plan? What's in it? Why do you think it's important? A career plan typically begins by asking yourself a number of questions. What do you want in a job? Also, what do you want in life? Don't just focus on your job. Where do you want to live? What type of lifestyle? 
how important is income versus independence versus working in a certain area? There's a number of questions, and you can start asking these of yourself to determine what might be interesting. Now, ideally, you're asking not just for today, but also long-term. Where do you want to be in 10 years, 15 years? That's okay not to have exact answers, right? But you want to think ahead. This came from my playing chess. I used to play competitive chess. And the quote you referenced came from a friend of mine, Jason Rosenhaus. We used to teach chess together. And he said, look, when you're playing chess, you're just sitting there moving pieces. And if you don't have a plan, it's random until eventually you get attacked and lose. You need to have a proactive plan for capturing your opponent's king. Even a bad plan is better than no plan at all. But the great thing in chess, you have a plan, and then you realize, what's well, a dumb plan? I can do better. So you improve it. You throw it away. And that's true of our careers as well. Don't just say, oh, I can't get the perfect plan. Come up with a plan. And then over time, say, you know what? I think I have a better plan. I think I can refine the plan. If you think about your work projects, you would never say to your boss, okay, got it. I got to deliver this to you in a year. So um, yeah, I'll see you in a year and let's hope we get there. He's going to say, no, show me a project plan. Show me some milestones. She knows you're not going to follow exactly. Things will come up, right? You're going to get thrown off the plan. Maybe a global pandemic comes along and screws everything up. But you have a plan and you adjust as you go. That's what we do with our career plan. So after you answer these questions, say, here's where I'm trying to go to. Now back up just like a project plan. This is where you want to be in 10 years. What are the steps along the way to get there? And then create a path for yourself. What are the skills and experiences you need to get into those roles along the way to take you to where you want to go? How far out are you going with the career plan? Because I can imagine like somebody right out of college, let's say age 22, 23 years old, like 15 years out, that's a long that's a long time. There, there's so much can happen in between that time. So do you sort of like build a career plan with maybe one, three, five, ten years in mind? I do recommend in the book having that long-term vision, if you know it. I want to run my own company or I want to be chief of medicine at a hospital. Some people do have that clear goal. Many don't, and that's fine. Then you might have your short-term plan. That might be one to two years. Intermediate, say five to seven. And long-term, that might be 15 to 20. But those numbers are really up to you. And you might say, look, I don't yet know what I want to do seven, 10, 20 years from now. So maybe your plan over the next three, five years is about exploring. It's taking jobs that are going to expose you to different areas and skills so you can refine it. And that's a great career plan too. When I'm managing somebody, and let's say I'm helping them with a career plan and helping them create a vision for what they want, what if the 10-year plan doesn't include being at my company anymore? That kind of puts me in a weird spot. You know, like what, what do you recommend from like an internal manager employee relationship in terms of like helping redefine the career plan when it's, you know, I don't want them to leave necessarily. I want to help them grow. But with me, the best managers, I think tend to do that. And that's something I do. I share a story with every employee who joins my team. I said, look, there's a, a person I know who Early in his career, he was a doctor, and when he went to go find a new job, he said to his boss, listen, I want to let you know I'm looking for a new job. This will give you a chance to prepare, find another physician, so you're not short-staffed and the patients don't suffer. And his boss said, I'm glad you told me, today's your last day. He made his boss's job easier. He gave him a heads up, and his boss penalized him for it. Well, I told my employees, look, if you're thinking of leaving, I hope you'll talk to me. 
I hope we can try to work it out, but it's not going to happen. I had one employee said, hey, my wife just gone to law school. We're moving to California. Like, okay, I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> and yeah. this was in the days before remote work was, was really feasible. I said, okay, thank you. I now know I can plan, I can prepare. And I've had employees who I've encouraged to leave the company because I knew for their own growth, it meant going somewhere else. And I've helped them. What this does to the other employees is they say, Mark is a great manager. He looks out for me. He takes care of me. This is someone I want to work for. I can have open, honest discussions with him. And yeah, in the short term, maybe it's going to lose you someone, but the rest of the employees will be more excited to be there. They'll bring in friends and say, what a great manager. So I think overall, companies are waking up to this and recognizing, look, jobs are short, careers are long, but let's make sure it's good for you. Yeah. What's that saying? It's like, what if we train our employees and then they leave? And it's like, what if we don't train them and they stay? And they stay. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's kind of the same thing. But it's like, as a manager, I mean, you could be known as a really a great person that cares about their people if you focus on their growth and even their career plan, even if it doesn't mean that they're going to be with you long term. I think that's the right approach. It's That's good. I'd work for you. <laughs> yeah. If someone wants to leave, Fear, intimidation, secrets, boxing them in, those techniques never work for long. Yeah, agreed. So if people are listening and thinking like, I don't know where my career is going, I've never built a plan before. Are there tools, assessments, anything like that could, that could help them figure out like next steps as far as like what goes in the career plan or even a vision for what they want? There's a number of those. When you start by answering these questions, and the questions, by the way, are free to download off of my website, so you don't have to need the book for it, it's going to start to help you to understand where you might want to go. You might say, for example, I don't want to be chained to a desk in a nine-to-five kind of job. Okay, that's helpful. You might not know the job you want, but you recognize a certain component that you like or don't like. The other thing you can do is go around and talk to everyone you can find. Talk to people in different fields. Talk to people with more experience. Ask them about their jobs. Tell me, what do you do? What's that like? What's fun? What's not fun? What are the skills that really make you successful in your job? And as you learn all this, you're going to start to recognize, oh, there are all these jobs where they're out there talking to different people. Maybe it's sales or business development or things like that. They all sound really interesting. Okay, now you realize you're attracted to jobs where you're not just seeing the same people day after day. And now as you explore, you start to ask people, hey, in your job, how much time do you spend meeting new people? And that's going to help you begin to focus. You can also do assessment tests, things like Myers-Briggs, DISC, Ocean, Herman Brain Dominance. These tests will help you better understand yourself and might guide you in some ways. Love that. Uh, I think you were alluding to this a little bit, but like informational interviews, having a mentor, could those those things help somebody map out their career and figure out what they want? And I mean, if if yes, what are some really good questions to ask in, in terms of an informational interview or even a mentorship relationship? In informational interview, people are often focusing just on the short-term job. Mm, I see. What do I do in this job? What's the role? What are the hours? And those are important questions. Certainly start with those, but also look at some bigger picture items, such as where will this job lead in three to four years, in five to eight years, right? This shows that you're thinking ahead and shows that you're interested in a long-term engagement with this employer. Employers should love this question. If they don't have good answers, it tells you 
they're not necessarily prepared for that. Now, it might be they're a startup that's only three years old. I had employees who at a company that was barely 18 months old were saying, what's our career path? I'm saying, I don't know. You know, we grow them. Hopefully we're around. And if we grow the business as you step up and take the lead and show initiative, we're going to hire under you, not over you. But I couldn't say, well, in two years, you'll get this title. We just didn't have that. Uh, so obviously recognize the context where you're asking it, but also ask about things like corporate culture. Right? This is an important thing that most people don't think about. And your success or failure is really going to be tied a lot to how well you fit into that culture. So look beyond just that narrow role and understand the larger company as a whole. Hey, it's Brandon here with a quick sponsor break. Are you making any of these common HR mistakes? Fragmented company culture, inconsistent communication, do-it-yourself diversity and inclusion initiatives, HR and business operations existing in silos. Do, like, do any of these sound familiar? Well, if so, you're not alone. These are HR challenges we see all the time. And our free ebook at Zenium is here to help you get past these mistakes. Our latest book breaks down seven common HR mistakes and outlines the steps you can take to step up your people strategies. Download it today and see how a strong HR strategy can help your people and your company thrive. Download it now at zeniumhr.com forward slash HR hyphen mistakes. That's zeniumhr.com forward slash HR hyphen mistakes. Now back to the show. I think the interesting thing about plans is that we could have a plan and then something can inevitably derail us or maybe we change our mind or maybe we would just get lost along the way or maybe a new opportunity came along. So how do we course correct midway through? How often do you update in the plan? You know, those kind of things are on my mind as, as far as like, okay, I have this plan and I'm going to follow it to a T. I just don't think that happens in real life. Doesn't happen, shouldn't happen. When we think about our project plans, whenever you're working on a project that's more than a few weeks, whether it's months or years, of course, you don't say, well, just follow the plan, no deviation. We know we have to do check-ins. Maybe you're using an agile process that has check-ins every week or two. Maybe you're just using a process that has monthly or quarterly check-ins. But you do that check-in to say, are we on plan? Are we off plan? What's working? What's not? What do we have to change? You want to do this with your career. So I recommend at least once a year sitting down, and it could just be for 30 minutes, 60 minutes, it's not a lot of time, but assessing where are you in your career plan. Now, this might be for the skills you wanted to develop this past year. Did you achieve that? If so, great. What's next? If you didn't achieve it, well, then what steps do you need to take to complete that task? And so this is a logical thing to do as you're doing your annual review with your boss. If your company doesn't do one, we'll do it for yourself. It might make sense to do it quarterly or semi-annually, especially if your company has that type of check-in. You also may just say, you know what, every time I'm about to look for a new job, or if I get asked to be on a new project, take a moment to assess, what is it I want, where do I stand, and will this new opportunity help me towards that goal or not? That's going to help you evaluate them more effectively. Can we use me as an example with this? I'd love to ask you some questions. So this is going to put me in a vulnerable spot, but I'm pretty open with everybody about it. So I've been with the same company for 
almost 13 years now. I've st- I started in like the most basic contributor level role. I always have my sights set on running a company at some point, whether it's this company that I'm working for now or a different company. I'm a marketing executive and at some point I want to become a president. So how do I, if I have a career plan that says I want to become a president someday, marketing executive skill sets are very different than the president skill set level. How do you make sure that you're working on acquiring the skills and the talent that you need to eventually grow into that role that you want within your career plan, where you're still on a day-to-day working on the tactical stuff that's important for your role today? So the first thing you want to do is enumerate what those skill sets are. So you have your marketing skill sets and say, okay, I know how to do these things. For the president's role, what's that entire list? And of course, you might rank preference, and you're not going to be great at everything. That's okay. But you're going to recognize maybe you don't have to be great at finance and accounting. You just need to follow a law. So to acquire that skill, you might say, all right, I'm going to take a couple accounting classes or read an accounting book. That's, that's what I did. I read a few accounting books, and I paid attention at our budgeting meetings where I'd sit down with the CFO and said, can you just go over our P&L or cash flow, can you just show me how this works? Never ask me to be the account at your company. <laughs> I'm not, but I can follow along. And that's sufficient for likely the role you want. Now, sales, on the other hand, if you're going to be a president, that is a role you can't just say, yeah, I conceptually get it. You're responsible for driving revenue. So if you don't have much sales experience, what can you do? Well, you can take some sales classes or read books, and that's a fine way to start but you also want to be involved with sales. And that might be asking salespeople, can I just sit in on this call with you? And after you listen in, you talk to them, why did you say this? Why did you push here, but not there? Ask and learn, sit in on the weekly sales meetings that the sales team has. So you can engage, you can be a fly on the wall, or you can join in on projects in different levels to help get exposure to how this is in person. In addition to just learning on your own through books and great podcasts and other tools. I love that. When you think about developing and acquiring new skills, what are some non-negotiable skills that people just, if they're going to work in corporate America or run a business or whatever, maybe whether they're a contributor level person all the way to like running an organization, what are the skills that you've seen come up time and time again that that are just non-negotiable? They absolutely have to acquire these skills if they want to succeed. I would say the 10 skills in the book, which really came from feedback of corporate America, but let's select just a few of them. Leadership. Every company says they want to see leaders. And unfortunately, too many people think that means you are at a certain level, you have a certain title. Leaders are people who take initiative, who stand up and say, hey, I see how we can move forward. And so I break down in the book how you can be a leader even your first day on the job when you're right out of school. Now, if you happen to be a deep expert, if you're the world's greatest expert on social media, okay, maybe you don't need to be a leader. You can just stay as a domain expert, but you're probably not going to advance in your career. You're just going to stay where you are. Another important skill, communication. Learning how to effectively convey your ideas, both to people on your own team but especially to people on different teams who don't have your background or knowledge or training. And how can you effectively convey risks and opportunities to those people? Time and again, that's important. Effective team building techniques. 
And here again, it's not just for a manager. We think, well, the manager, she's going to build the team. Yes, that's her job. But all of us on the team are also responsible for creating an effective team and learning how to create those and work well with others, even as a non-manager, very important. The managerial skills I lay out in the book are not just for people with managerial titles. They are practical skills we can all use every day of our career. And then, of course, networking, expanding our network brings more opportunities, more knowledge, more support. And negotiations. Too many people think we only negotiate when we're doing our salary or perhaps a salesperson. But really, we negotiate all the time, particularly with our coworkers. Learning to be an effective negotiator leads to better outcomes for everyone. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm glad you brought up the networking piece because one of the things that was on my mind, because I, I preach this a, a lot to people and I hope they, they take it to heart. And I'm really curious about what your thoughts are. I think that everybody, regardless of the position they're in, should really focus on being intentional about their personal brand. And I fe- feel like networking really falls into that because I think like, I mean, your personal brand, you could take with you wherever you go. People can know you for whether it's a certain type of role or as a thought leader in a certain area, but it doesn't, I don't think it really matters what types of positions you're in. I think everybody should be intentional about it. What do you think about that? Absolutely. So, first, develop a large, extensive network, but pay attention to your personal brand. I have a section on this in my book. How are you perceived? What are you known for? One challenge I had early on was that no one ever questioned my technical skills. Once they knew I had three degrees from MIT, they said, okay, great, you can do the math, right? MIT, yep, smart guy, really strong nerd, great. But people wondered, did I have any business skills? Could you put me in front of a salesperson? Could I talk to a bunch of non-technical people? That wasn't so obvious until they started to meet me and spend time with me. I had to work on that part of my branding I never had to work on convincing people I was technical. Now, different people will have different backgrounds and different preconceived notions about them. My friend Dory Clark, who wrote a wonderful book called Reinventing You, has a really good technique, which is to go to the people around you and say, could you just pick three adjectives that describe me? And so ask half a dozen people, get those adjectives, write them down, and see what comes up. And that's going to tell you where you stand right now, what's your primary perception or the primary perception of you, and then decide, is that what you want? And it might be great, but you might realize you need to do more. And so begin to shift in that direction by choosing activities and things that are going to build your brand in the area you want. You touched on this a little bit ago, but I want to dive deeper into it. We were talking about contributor levels moving to a management role. And I mean, those are different skill sets altogether. And I think oftentimes people are moving or accepting roles into to management or leadership. They don't have the skills yet. For one, what skills are needed? And two, I mean, is there something employers could be doing if, if we're about to like move somebody from a contributor to a manager level? I mean, those are very different. So what could we do in preparation to build on those skills to make sure that they're well-prepared? And I mean, they're taking care of people. So <laughs> it's important. That's the biggest step anyone does in his or her career. Because as an individual contributor, as you move up, and maybe you're more senior and you have more responsibility, but you're still doing the same type of problem solving, just at a larger scale. Likewise, when you go from managing, let's say, five people to 25 to 100 to 500, 
it's the same skills. Now, yes, there are different challenges managing 500 people versus five, but still it is the managerial set as opposed to the individual contributor set. It's that first transition from individual contributor to manager that, as you point out, is so challenging. The reason is everything you've done as an individual contributor, that problem solving, the thinking about how do I write better code? How do I come up with better campaigns and slogans and marketing? How do I close more sales? You're focused very narrowly on you and your actions. Once you switch to being a manager, now you're focused on people management. Every manager will tell you the people part is the hardest. And you probably have not used those skills very much as the individual contributor. So you have to shift and everything that got you to where you are those skills are no longer what's going to move you ahead. <laughs> People are not going to want to hear that. You have to do this mental shift. Now, for a company, how do you support people? Two may say, hey, good job as an individual contributor. Congrats, you're the manager. Best of luck. Some companies say, oh, you're a manager. So great. We're going to send you to one week of manager training. Well, now, now you're good because you've had a whole week of training. Great. Run a team. What we need to do is first recognize that there's no secret handshake, there's no magic potion they drink, and then suddenly they can do it. It's an ongoing process, and really you want to support this person during his or her transition by giving them training in the months leading up to it and the months afterwards. And ideally, we'd be supporting everyone throughout their careers. So don't just think one type of training or a one-shot deal gets them there especially because these skills, you're not going to just say, okay, let me teach you to be a leader. Here's three things every leader should know. Great. And next Tuesday at 9.32 a.m., remember tip number two, you're going to need it, right? You might not use that tip for two months, and then all of a sudden it comes up, and, oh, right, I learned about this, but it's kind of rusty. So you want to expose them over and over and have them explore. Yeah, I love that. It's funny you brought the tips of a great leader up because I was going to ask you, what makes a great manager a leader? Like, what are the skills? And maybe I shouldn't ask that anymore because <laughs> it's, I mean, it's an ongoing thing. It's an iterative process. But if, are there any key skills that, you know, when I'm working with an employee, whether it's empathy or building trust or whatever it may be, what, what makes a great manager? A great manager really does three things. The manager should make sure the team is focused on the right questions, should get resources. That might mean finding things. That might mean protecting them from outside distractions or other things that will get in their way. And then finally, and most importantly, the manager must make sure that the team is having the right conversations with the right people at the right time. This is the essence of management. Too many first-level managers think, well, I'm the manager. I have to have all the answers. It's all on me. It's okay. You don't need to have the answers, but you need to be able to get your team to get to the answers. And so by giving them the right questions, by removing any distractions and getting the resources they need, and then again, importantly, making sure the right people have the right conversations at the right time. I recommend to all managers Think about the information flow that needs to happen on your team. We normally think about, oh, we should have a weekly meeting or there's a daily stand-up or we send emails when something happens. Really think about this holistically at the larger level. Why do you need that meeting? Why are you saying this email? What are you trying to do? 
It's about making sure information flows to the right people at the right time. And if you think about it that way, then you start saying, well, to make sure this information moves this way at this time, should we have an email, a Slack channel, a meeting? What should be the process? It becomes much easier and you're more effective at doing Mark, your book is jam-packed with tons of stuff we didn't even talk about today. Uh, I sort of jumped around in the discussion just to make sure we covered all all the key areas. But your book is called The Career Toolkit, Essential Skills for Success That No One Taught You. Highly encourage listeners to go pick it up. Uh, What do you want to say in parting? Like Any thoughts or point people to your website or anything like that? You can go to my website, thecareertoolkitbook.com. There you can learn more about the book. You can also download the free app. It's available for Android and iPhone. It contains a lot of the tips. I know one thing that happens when I read books like this, you say, oh, well, that was really interesting. And then you forget a few weeks later. This is going to pop up those tips, that great advice on your phone each day as an alert. You set the time and it helps to reinforce it. It's going to help bring it top of mind. Or if, say, you're about to go into negotiation, you're not going to carry my book with you pull up the app, quickly go to those negotiation tips to get that refresher. So on the website, you can also get the app. There's also a resources page with a whole bunch of free resources. You can download the questions I mentioned earlier. There's a whole free guide for how you can create a peer learning program to develop your own skills or the skills of the people on your team or in your organization. There's links to other great books. I mentioned Dory Clark's. There's a whole bunch of other books there, other online resources, all free. So all of this you can find at my website, thecareertoolkitbook.com. Mark Hirschberg, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me.